my mom was, so she was in middle school when my grandfather was in jail. And the teachers knew that. And they would pick on her. And she wouldn't want to sing the national anthem. She wouldn't want to do La Internacional, which we sing in the play. She would never fucking do it. And my, my grandmother would beg her, like, please stop doing that, you know? They're, they're, they're basically, you know, they, they, they started to kind of corner her in, in this place. And um, she told me that story about Preda Castro for a cookie. She was a middle schooler, so that's what, that's what it was. It was like, you're hungry? Okay, pray, pray to... Uh, Pray to God for a cookie. And of course the kids would pray to God for a cookie and no cookie would show up. And then they would say, okay, close your eyes and now pray to Castro uh, for a cookie. And then the cookie would magically show up. And that's how they were brainwashing these kids. So all throughout the story I have laid in there things of that nature. Okay, I think we're we're good to go. Carlos, we're good there? You're good? Look at this. Wow. Okay. Things are happening. Things are happening. Welcome to, what is this, Pancom Podcast Live number five? Sure. Sure, maybe. Um, thanks to all of you for, for being here. Uh, every time we do this, we make it very difficult on ourselves by adding all kinds of moving parts. And so also thank you for putting up with all this uh, eight microphone mic testing and a microphone on a spatula and all of that stuff. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, I'm Nick Jimenez. Maybe, maybe people know. Um, Mike Beltran over here in the, in the Dolphins hoodie. Uh, maybe a, a year or so ago, we had, uh, was it a year ago now that we had you on the podcast? We had Robbie Ramos uh, on the podcast. Uh, he had been in the cast of Amparo uh, and at some point made Mike uh, cry in, with his performance. Yeah, super early. Um, and at that point, he mentioned to us that he was, uh, uh, had written this play about his grandfather's experience as a political prisoner in Cuba. Um, and when we found that it was actually going to be produced, we were like, okay, this is a natural fit for, uh, for what we try to do. We've said multiple times that we use uh, food and podcasts and fun things as a hook to lure you into Cuba stuff and you're just the latest like set of pawns in our weird little Cuba game. Um, I want to thank the sponsors of this event, especially the first time that we've had a title sponsor of an event is Front of the House. That's why they get to be at the top of the poster board with the biggest logo and the whole thing. Um, they supplied all of the plates and bowls that you will be eating on. So if you're posting on you know, Instagram, which is really the only reason you eat at restaurants, uh, make sure you tag FOH Inc. Speaking of which, all of the other tags that you might want to use are on the backs of the menus for all of you Instagram crazy, crazy people. 
um, thanks to the other sponsors of this thing, which I just want to do before this gets like super serious, because this is a thing about like a political prisoner situation. So I feel like it'd be weird after like thanks to our sponsors, um, Slay and Irish Whiskey, the Glendrona, which I hope I pronounced correctly, uh, Petrosian Caviar, and Aquapana and San Pellegrino, the official waters of Pan Kong podcast. If your things are fizzy and make you not so thirsty anymore, thanks to them, uh, we couldn't do it without them. Uh, before we get going, um, I want to let Mike do a run-through of the menu. Usually when we do these, there's an interview happening rather than a play reading, but obviously we don't want to interrupt this to kind of talk through each of the, the menu items. So Mike and maybe uh, is Tom. Yeah, great. Awesome. Uh, let's give it up for the production department here with the spatula microphone. This will be on sale on eBay after. Uh, it's going to start pretty high. So I'll keep this pretty quick because I know people are hungry. Certain people are hungry. Um, bocaditos are going to be first. It's uh, trout tartare with a sweet pea aioli. Uh, the first course is going to be our play on puré de malanga, so it's an aerated puré de malanga with a sous vide egg, sunchoke puree, crispy sunchokes, and petrosian caviar that was provided by one of our sponsors. And uh, for your main course, we're doing Florida snapper. It's a yellowtail snapper with um, enchilada de marico underneath it, a little spicy, really robust, probably one of my favorite dishes tonight. It's also currently on the Gibson menu. And then for dessert, you're gonna have a foie gras flan with rum drunken figs. So now I hand it off to Tam, 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 Tom, to uh, talk about cocktails. Hi everyone, can everyone hear me properly? Yeah, can everyone understand me? Yeah, we'll leave that to later. Um, so just a couple of things with regards to the drinks that you're drinking tonight. The first one is a, a Chancellor Collins. It's, um, it's basically an amalgamation of two drinks. Um, the Chancellor, which is like an old port, Scotch Manhattan, early 20th century. We've married that with a classic Tom Collins, obviously taking the gin out, gone heavy on the port with a little bit of scotch just to give it a bit of boost. Obviously, there's five drinks tonight. The idea is to hopefully get you guys kind of is it peak or plateau at the right time, whichever one it is. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, citrus as well, fresh lemon, an orange wedge just to kind of beef up that texture and then topped off with soda. The drink that we're going to have after that is an artist's special, quite an obscure classic. I guess in the, in the world of cocktails, you have like classic classics like Manhattan or a Martini and old-fashioned. Then you get these other drinks that losers like me look through books from like way back when to try and resurrect something to try and make it semi-relevant. So the artist special is basically originally scotch, but we've gone with slain Irish whiskey this time. Uh, we've gone some manzanilla sherry, some nice salinity to kind of pair with your food, uh, fresh lemon again, and then some, we call it grenadine, um, but it's like an old school pomegranate grenadine from the early 1920s. Um, and basically it's like a nice kind of straight up drink, uh, again with a little, a little bit of acid, a little bit of salinity, a little bit of sherry, not too boozy. And then we move into the Wonderland. And the Wonderland is a, it's a variation on a drink called the Mad Hatter from 1951, a book called uh, Bottoms Up by Ted Saucier. I don't know if the Mad Hatter has any kind of connotation with Alice in Wonderland, I'm guessing it does, so the, the one, that the Wonderland is like a reference to that. We've taken out the rye, we've put in Irish whiskey, a split base of lemon and lime, a little bit of absinthe in there as well. Um, the absinthe is minute, but it's just to give it like a little bit of freshness and brightness. We then move into the Clyde River, okay? Clyde River is a variation on an old drink called the Fox River, which is a 
an old-fashioned variation with cacao and originally Canadian whiskey, but we took it out, we put in scotch, we call it Clyde River, one of the biggest rivers um, in Scotland. It's finished off with peach bitters. Those who are a little bit concerned about the idea of peach, scotch, and cacao, that's completely fine, but I think it's probably one of the best drinks you'll have this evening. Um, and then to finish off, a very kind of uh, I guess like a classic dessert style drink. Um, you know, I, when I think of dessert cocktails, I always think of something creamy, but I think creamy drinks can sometimes get a bad rap. So we've, we've done something a little bit tasteful. We basically mix Glendronic 12 with a little bit of honey. We stir that, we serve it straight up, and then we hand rip some cream and then we float it on top of the drink. Okay? And that'll be your drinks for this evening. Thank you. All right, I'm, I promise I'm not standing here because I think I'm extra, but just for cameras and lights. Um, I, when we, as we transition into this, just want to uh, sort of let you all know, in light of the nature of the thing, we don't normally try to shush people, but, you know, we want to, like, I'm not telling you not to, like, be friends with the person next to you, but, you know, let's treat it like if it's a weird combination of dinner theater, which I guess is what it is. That's what we're doing here. So uh, I, I was told that there wasn't really anything I should say for transition, so I'm going to awkwardly step off, and this is like very, very typical of us. Look at that. Yeah. Now the Walls Have Ears, by a play by Robbie Ramos. The setting, October 1962. Cuban Missile Crisis, a prison in Isle of Pines, Cuba, and a radio station in Miami, Florida. Scene one, Cuba, the Modelo prison, Madre's office. A desk and two chairs, a radio is set up on a corner table along with a small office fridge. Madre and Papo across the table from each other. Thanks to our sponsor, Aganorsa Leaf Cigars. Aganorsa Leaf is renowned throughout the world for its signature flavor that possesses all the great attributes of Nicaraguan terroir, along with classic Cuban aroma and flavor. Aganorsa Leaf is pleased to announce a brand new edition of Guardian of the Farm, Cerberus, named after the mythical three-headed hound that stood watch at the gates of Hades. This exciting new Nicaraguan puro uses 100% Aganorsa leaf tobacco and is wrapped in Aganorsa's new Corojo 2012 cover leaf, which adds a level of complexity to the blend, adding light spice and a rich, smooth body to the blend. When you smoke one of our world-class blends, you will experience the difference between ordinary tobacco and Aganorsa leaf. That's why we say our leaf is our strength. Learn more about Aganorsa leaf and use their store locator and find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at www.agonorsaleaf.com. The two of us smoke Agonorsa Leaf cigars often. We also offer them to a lot of our guests, like, for example, Dave Arvello, who every time I post a picture of a, a Cerberus mentions to me in my DMs or in a text how cool the band is, which it actually is a pretty slick-looking band. Um, but also, I just want to note a little personal anecdote here so it's not all totally straight-up red. I can say that uh, Michael Beltran will absolutely not only vouch for the quality of Aganorsa cigars. Yeah. But you met a uh, Miami legend and handed him an Aganorsa cigar. I did meet uh, uh, a Miami legend. I was smoking 
nearby Alonzo Morning, and we had a conversation about cigars, and he handed me one of his, and I went inside. I bought this exact same cigar, and I handed Alonzo Morning this Aganorsa cigar, and I said, try this. Thank me later. I mean, if that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. Aganorsaleaf.com. All right, you've heard us talking about the barrel here on Pancom Podcast before. It is a sleek barrel-style cooker with loads of capacity that represents a new way to grill Gets you great results in a fraction of the time that it would take you to cook, let's say, a rack of ribs on an offset smoker. The legend of the barrel has only gotten greater. They're running around town winning cooking competitions left and right, including taking first place at FIU's North Miami Brewfest for best eatery. They're not even an eatery, people. No, they're not. I'm not saying they could hang with Nick making omelets in the morning, but it's still pretty impressive. Some South Florida chefs have even started to use the barrel in their restaurants. That's fucking wild. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for your backyard. Trust me. You can get yours at barrelthebbq.com. Use promo code PANGKONG10. That's PANGKONG10 for 10% off of your purchase. The barrel is a hand-welded barrel-style cooker with a chimney at the center of its base and a rail that runs along the circumference at the top. So you can hang ribs, pork belly, whole chicken, salmon, cheeses, dips, sauces, and all manner of other stuff along the edge. Whatever you want. Alternatively, use the grill rack up top to sear meats or grill veggies directly over the coals. Use a pizza stone to cook your favorite pies. The versatility of the barrel is a thing to behold. <laughs> Mike, you've used the barrel. Tell the people about what you did with it. Yeah, my favorite thing with the barrel was actually the grill on top. You know, like yep. obviously you can cook all the meats underneath it, but the fact that you can cook, you know, some veggies on the side or, you know, if you want to cook cheese, I didn't use the pizza stone on top, but that's a very interesting idea. I think that the versatility of the product and the fact that you can cook a whole meal in one barrel you know, right. makes it pretty versatile. I mean, a whole bunch of meals. So when I, I had some people over for uh, one of those fight nights. Oh, the epic house, Nick fight nights. One of those fight nights and uh, did a lot of chicharrón. So I just lined pretty much the whole edge of the barrel with Oof. with pork belly and had that be uh, an appetizer thing and also some ribs. How did that come out? Came out great. Yeah, I came love Came out that. great. I also had a, a past guest, Louis Estrada. Chef Louis Estrada was wow. there, was on hand to try yeah, the the chicharrón that I we love made. That. So and yeah, what was, what, were his, what was his feedback? He was a fan. He uh -huh. he was familiar with the barrel already. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Seen that um, chefs all over know about the barrel all the way to Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, all the way to Brooklyn. Again, barrel the BBQ promo code Pangong ten to get ten percent off of your order. Tell the people barrel the BBQ Pangong ten. Barrel the barrel the BBQ dot com dot com. Pan con ten. That Pan means for ten. some wild reason you will get 10% off your purchase when you go to buy, buy the barrel. That's right. For all of your needs. That's right. And you want to get all the accessories too. All Get all the accessories. All of them. Good stuff. Introducing the newest line from Jew Estate Cigars. 20 Acre Farm is a complex, refined, and medium body cigar with a super oaky and cedary notes accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and a bright hint of citrus. Built at La Gran Fabrica, Drew Estate in Nicaragua using a velvety, and I mean velvety, Ecuadorian Connecticut shade grown wrapper. Under that wrapper is a sun-grown Habano binder and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa in perfect balance with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf. 
Florida Sun Grown is also the name of the farm where that tobacco is lovingly grown and harvested by Jeff Borschwitz, who's the guy you see in his video playing behind us, uh, on his pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. I have actually been to that farm, along with plenty of other cigar tobacco farms in Mexico, Central America, and the Dominican Republic. And what Jeff, who, by the way, is a very nice guy, there's actually a cigar box signed by Jeff hanging on my wall. Uh, what Jeff is doing there is super legit. Uh, so it's always cool to see products like his, which is the only premium cigar tobacco grown in Florida um, in products from a company like Drew Estate. Plus, 20-acre farm being a Drew Estate product means it's the creation of Master Blender and Pancom podcast guest, Willie Herrera. Support our guests and sponsors. Get it online. Ask your local cigar shop about 20-acre farm by Drew Estate. Learn more about Drew Estate and use their store locator to find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at DrewEstate.com. That's right. I'm probably going to smoke one of those right now. I, what are we waiting for? All right. Wow. Thank you. Ladies Thank and you. gentlemen, the sexiest trio Appreciate of that. podcast to date. Wow. I'm, hey, I'm all right, sad. So I don't get it. This is the this is the portion of the thing where we, spread uh, this we out, have right? conversations. This is a person you have not met yet. Gabriel Jose Bonilla is the <laughs> the director of of the play that you just saw a reading of, uh, and of course Robbie Ramos wrote the play and is very much in the play. Also. Um, I would like to know, uh, nobody in this room has more training in jumping off the top rope uh, than Robbie, who is a, one of the stars of Heels, Heels on Stars. So, uh, watch out. Um, and then, of course, eighth grade basketball MVP. Thank you very much. Thank you. Award-winning Elvis impersonating Santa Claus. That's right. That's right. And one time, Chili Cook-Off champion. Never. That never happened. Michael <laughs> Bell still happened. looking for that second trophy on his mantle. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and we will uh, jump right into our podcast. For those who are listening in the internet world. Uh, oh, yeah? Because uh, I don't know what the edit's going to look like. We just did a reading uh, with six actors of The Walls Have Ears, written by Robbie Ramos, directed by Gabriel Bonilla. Um, and so I recorded it, and you know, if you're consuming this outside of this room, we'll, we'll cut it maybe with some things for reference as you guys talk about it. So um, that's that's all I got. Go for it, Mike. Do, do what you got to do. Oof, I'm exhausted. And anyone else exhausted? Because that was like very intense. So I'm, cheered for exhaustion. I'm just I'm exhausted. Like that was a very I'm. I told Robbie as soon as it all ended, like, he's two for two. He's made me cry twice. <laughs> First time, this time, I cried twice in the middle of this. Um, I think, first of all, I've never watched a reading of a play. Um, and I think I enjoyed it incredibly because you really get to focus on not just, like, the dialogue, but, like, the moment that's happening because it's not a lot of... There's no acting going on. You have to really pay attention to what's going on. And for me... 
I enjoyed it incredibly, and I'm super honored that this happened here. So thank you both for for doing this here. Um, thank you for having us, dude. Thank you. So like, let's jump into like the meat of why. Let's talk about the why and the how and all the stuff and how we got here. But first, the why. The why was uh, my grandfather was a nine-year political prisoner in Cuba. And uh, when I was in New York just doing plays, acting, whatever, um, I always had like a, an inkling that I wanted to tell his story in some way. Um, and in one of the trips that I took down from New York, I had a conversation with him. Yeah. It's not causing a problem, but your, your beard is insulating. I got it, I got you. Let me out, hold on. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful beard. Uh, it's a powerful beard, dude. What am I going to do, you know? Um, yeah, so I, I came down to, uh, do you guys hear me? I project. You don't hear me at all? Now, do you hear me? Um, yeah, so I, I started writing this play as a, as a, uh, we're having Mike Pascal Oh! Shout out to the production department. basically about some of the experiences that he had in Cuba and um, and from that conversation uh, I came up with the idea of these brothers my, my grandfather had a, a really close friend of his um, who ended up joining the revolution and, and he didn't see him for a bunch of years and then that friend actually passed away uh, fighting for the revolution but I kind of made this like my own little fictional thing of these two brothers. I'm not saying I did it. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I can, I can, I can so see why someone... Why? Because of this? Yeah, because of that. I'm kidding, I'm not... I, you, you say it like it's nothing. Why? Because of this? Like I'm overreacting, no, never, right? I'm not trying like to besides the fact that it says you're the guy who's plastering these posters all across the city. Ah, it doesn't on. also say you're part of a conspiracy group? A terrorist? Bullshit! Like, like it doesn't say you were planning on placing bombs all around Havana. Tell me where? In, in which warehouse? In what area? At what time? This is like a murder trial where no one has been killed and there's no corpse, but you keep insisting that there's a... According a, to these... A, that's a bunch of nonsense! It's a fairy tale, pa! Oh... And then... La Madre de la Revolución, who is a take a little bit on like uh, on Celia Sanchez, um, who was a real woman in the revolution. I want you to write lines. Lines? Yes, lines. Have you never heard of? Oh, you mean like sentences. Yes. I will not speak poorly about the revolution. 500 okay. times. Okay. No, no, no. Don't hear me out. I'm being lenient. Thank you. I don't dislike you. I think, you know, we're similar. How so? I'm human, all right? I'm not even. Can immune. you just? What? I'm sorry I interrupted you. I, I should have let you finish. I, I have a bad habit It's of OK. A... You were saying? Can you tell me what I did wrong? Listen. It's just a poem you wrote for a class. It's just a poem. Exactly. But there are exactly. certain political see, institutions, and they, they have certain policies. And, um, and, and from there, it just kind of it took on its own life. You know, I, I assume with cooking and similar things, you, have, you start off with an inspiration for yeah. something, 
and then it becomes this other thing. You get ideas from the ether. I mean, like, I was just talking to somebody earlier about that. It's like, as you start to write, you start getting these ideas, and you're like, where the fuck is this coming from? You have no idea. Uh, it almost feels like it writes itself. You just got to kind of show up. Well, I mean, creativity, like, comes in waves for me. So it's like... I mean, it could be a dry spell for a couple of months and then you just to get on like a wave and you just have to ride it. And I mean, I, I can't imagine what it is to write something that's so personal to so many of us, right? Especially in this city. And like, I, I mean, that's why, you know, this can be incredibly emotional for so many people, especially when you guys premiere on what the eighth you said, right? The eighth, the yes. eighth yeah. So then how to... Um, from the writing to the directing, like how did how did that go? Like where, where did that start? Um, I worked with Gabe and Ambato right. um, back in 2019, and uh, and then when the July oh, 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 July 11th, you, you probably have a better idea of when I 11th. Yeah, nice Ooh, there we go. There you go. Yeah, so around uh, after the the protests, July 11th protests. Um, my it started as a uh, Robbie was like hey man we should we should get together and, and and read scripts and we should get a group going and just kind of like bounce bounce ideas and you know maybe we're directing maybe we're writing maybe we have auditions whatever so we got we got a group going and we read the script for the first time <clears throat> and it was around the July 11th protest right yeah and at the time my girlfriend's uh, brother my girlfriend who was in the Spanish cast of this by the way we have two casts. Uh, the, this English cast and the Spanish cast goes up uh, April 28th. Um, so at the time, her uh, brother was still in Cuba. Mm. And um, do you guys know what recargas are? So basically, to keep in touch with your family in Cuba, you recharge their phones, whatever that company is. It's called Edexa. So you buy them like these data packages, right? And uh, July 11th happens and the island goes black. And internet's out and people haven't spoken to their families in, in a while and videos aren't coming up. But if you had these data packs, if you had like your phone recargado, you, you could still be in contact with people over here. <clears throat> so my girlfriend, Diane, uh, she was like, well, no, we'll, we'll start recharging and we'll just we'll see what happens. And it turned into like helping someone in the island to helping two people, three people, four people. And Robbie was like, why don't we do a read and invite a bunch of people to come out to the read and the donations go to the, the recargas. And that turned into a whole other thing. We ended up recagando like, I don't know, 11,000 families in Cuba that hadn't spoken to anybody, but it started with, with the play. So, so, you know, then we just kept the ball rolling and we were like, well, no, this read was a hit. Let's do another one. We did a second one in Miami. And we were like, we could do this in LA, why not? Because um, I moved to LA. And we did it in Los Angeles, which is insane to have a read in Los Angeles pretty much packed, sold out. Uh, full of Cuban Americans who didn't know each other either. Like they were like, "Wow, I didn't know there were so many Cubans in LA." Mm -hmm. so, we're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. 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 And here we are now, putting it up in April. So it's 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 been a process. Yeah. In in the process of like the um, writing of the thing, do you find yourself emotional writing it, reading it back to yourself? I think so, man. I mean, part part of part of writing is like. It's, I don't love it, you know what I mean? Like, it, sure. it's painful, but also it's painful to show it to people because it's a part of you, you know? Like, acting, I, I can kind of hide behind these characters and, you know, I'm jumping off the top rope, like, like Nick said. I'm playing all these different things, but with writing, it's like, that's me. Uh, 
whether the story is about me or not, it's like I think I think this works, and this is what I think about love, and this is what I think about the world. You know, so it's it's expo you feel exposed. Yeah, I mean that's creativity, right? Like anytime yeah. you put your creativity out there to the world, especially if you care a ton, it's you know you're telling a part of your story, especially in today's world where people can tweet or yelp or whatever that uh, this is trash or that's not trash and they have no idea what they're talking about or you know they don't care about it as much as you do or they don't understand the story it's very quick for people to judge um, and it, it takes a lot for for you to put your creativity out there to the world so I mean I applaud you for that the the directing aspect do you find yourself emotional or do you find yourself just directing well I mean for this specifically um, so this is my first time directing, right? I, I uh, assistant directed The Cubans back in 2020. I associate directed something very soon, both with Vicky Collado, who's back there over there in the corner. Hey. And um, as a director, I mean, I still have my actor brain on 24-7, so I'm right. still trying to figure out how you, like, how you divide that. Um, right. But even even taking myself out now, I mean, this story hits so close that I'm I'm in it. You saw me back there. You were like, dude, I, I didn't know if you wanted to drink or not because you're drinking water. I couldn't. I was like, my I was like, <laughs> watching you guys, and I was like, ah, ah touching. You know, I, yeah, I'm just as nervous back there as over here. I mean, so, you were yeah. you were in it for me. I needed drinks the entire time. <laughs> I, they couldn't refill my drink fast enough. I'm it. it I couldn't imagine writing it or directing it and not feeling incredibly involved. Like. From the chef side, you know, you direct a thing, a kitchen, and you watch them all work, and you want to touch all the things and fix mm. all the things that they're doing because maybe they don't understand it the way that you do, or how you thought it should be said. And obviously, yeah. through the rehearsal directing process, that would get fixed. But I just, I couldn't imagine sitting there watching it and not being able to touch it and fix it at the moment. I mean, it's it's kind of like you 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 trust in your actors to to do the thing. But it's been a big collaborative thing from, from the get. And that's like the first day of rehearsal, I was like, guys, I may have a few answers, but I have a lot of questions. So we'll, f we'll figure that out together. And at any point, you know, we're, we're all like, hey, maybe this doesn't work out. I, I definitely don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. And Robbie's in it too, like, you know what? This, this isn't a thing. So I'm more, I, I, I'm, I kind of steer and just like let them go with, with their initial instinct, which is usually, usually right. So. So the grand, the first one is the eighth. Well, so we're doing a preview April seventh, um, and that'll be our first like performance in front of a crowd. And then April eighth is the opening night, which is like a gala. There's going to be an after party. Uh, the ticket includes two Havana Club cocktails, um, and Yoli Mayor is also going to be singing at the at the after party. So that's more of a it's going to be an event type of thing. Um, so that's that's yeah that's our opening weekend, man, April eighth. So you were you guys were telling me that, that it's what three weeks in English and three weeks in Spanish? Yeah. So I originally wrote it in English, but I think I've always wanted to kind of like in Glorious Bastards, you know, like that Quentin Tarantino thing of of having the actual language language that's supposed to be um, said uh, heard, you know. Mm. So. So I'm, I'm interested myself in like hearing the Spanish and the English collide because the, the radio guy is still going to be in English. We're going to have subtitles. So it's going to be like true to the text and what those people should be speaking. Madre, when she calls the, uh, the radio station, is speaking in English. 
Um, but it's like, uh, we, we got Susana Pere, uh, who's gonna um, play the part of Madre, and her English isn't great. But that's part of it, it's like, yeah. I want that to happen, and to see what actually that exchange with Bill Kenny would be with this woman who maybe doesn't speak the language correctly, but like she's, she's trying to learn this thing because she has something she needs to say. You know? um, how big is the crowd gonna be? 178. Is oh, how, yeah, yeah, yeah. We actually have a little model of the stage that I would love to. I'm super excited about this stage. Can, <laughs> yeah, I, can yeah, I pull yeah. that out? I feel like it's like show and tell over here. Get, get. <laughs> Relax, <laughs> Yeah. So, can you take the top piece off? Just oh, yeah. take that, yeah. So, super excited about this. We're, we're doing this in the round, which for those of you who, who don't know what that means, it's basically it's like 360 theater, wherever there's something going on the whole time, right? So, in this version that we have this way, like this so you have like an air view to the left would be the dj the, the radio station in miami in the middle this circle in the middle would represent madre's office and to the right would be the interrogation room so uh hanging from that over the circle then would be what represents the actual prison in cuba the modelo prison in isla de pinos uh right over the top and uh on the floor of it uh, we'll be featuring some of the artwork that was found in the cells actually in Cuba. So th these were people painting pictures of their grandparents or painting, you know, Cuban flags or whatever they could because they were just, you know, scrapping for paint. Painting women as well because yeah. it, was a, it was a prison. Yeah. yeah. So you got some women in there. Yeah. Got some naked women in there. Let's keep it real. But, <laughs> but there, were, there was also portraits of, you know, families and... Yeah. Um, that's a that's a nice touch by our scenic designer Andrew. What's his last name? Andrew Rodriguez Triana. Yeah. yeah, nice cool touch. You you can look these pictures up, um, Presidio Modelo, and you can see the artwork. and And that artwork will be, like Gabe said, all in that circle there. Yeah. So, and and of course this is the set without any dressing. There will be you know right. There will be desks and fridges and and the whole nine. But this is just the architecture of of the set. And so. I mean, technically, you could watch the show a couple different times and get a different experience because you will be right up against the interrogation room or you'll be right next to Bill as, as he's going through his calls and stuff or there are seats right up against Madre's office so you're in that moment with her. So I'm really excited about this whole 360 idea of immersing the audience into this world for a little bit. Where yeah. Is Westchester Cultural Charlie. Arts Center. <laughs> it's uh, at the Tropical new Park. Westchester Cultural Arts Center in Tropical Park. Uh, brand new theater, beautiful yeah. place. Hometown, wet-chetted type of stuff. This is what we're doing here. What was the idea when you guys, when you wrote this to make it like immersive? Um, uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, but I, I, after having the, the Amparo experience, we, I, I mean, that's, to me, that's the best form of theater is I can look at her and her beautiful hat and, and have a conversation with her and, and tell, her, tell her the story and, or, or be experiencing something in the story and look at her and have an experience with her. So I think what we're trying to do, it's, it's, not, it's not bringing that immersive same quality as Amparo, but we do want to make it feel like I can look at her and, and, and say some lines to her maybe. I mean, we're gonna be so we're gonna be as close as, as you and I are here right. to some of the audience members, and I like that feeling. I like to like I like to go to theater and be a little bit confronted and maybe even a little uncomfortable, uh, because it forces you to kind of maybe see the world in a different way. So I think we're trying to build that, and it's gonna be 360. You know, there's like there's things that are gonna happen maybe behind you, depending on where you're sitting. Um, 
So it's gonna feel like you're in, you're in the space. I mean, you're not like an observer. You, you should feel as if you went through something when you left. Um, I mean, Abado did that. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I told you, I went to the one in New York. Yeah. And it was like uh, that immersive theater where you leave a different person than the way you arrived. Yeah. And for just what we saw today, I think the same thing will happen, especially, I love that it's happening in Westchester. I know, me too, I mean, man. that's like me the too. best. Me too. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. think of a yeah. better place yeah. to put a story about um, Cuba than Westchester. I agree, man. I agree. And I, and I think we want to get some of that crowd that maybe doesn't go to theater, but like we're trying to tell, I'm, I, I, why I did this and you asked this in the beginning was because I, I felt like I needed to let the older generation know like the younger generation is, is going to keep telling these stories and what you went through and it's one of the monologues in the play. Yeah. Um, what you went through wasn't in vain, you know? Like, you carry it, dude. In our podcast that we had, I felt yeah. that. It was like, he carries that. And, and he's, he's here now. And, and your grandparents, your parents, whoever that was, is, is now living through you in this experience, I believe. Or I, I want to believe. Well, we talked, just to, not to rehash our entire, like, it was like a five-hour podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah. one thing that we talked about at length was the fact that the younger generation has a duty to, like, we, we can't be... We can't let that story be forgotten, mm -hmm. you know, because and in the podcast with Vicky, we talked about at length the fact that we are kind of the children of the lost. You know, our story is not told. Our story is not represented. The real story, at least, is not represented. So if we don't represent it the right way, because our parents and grandparents, they just they wanted to assimilate because they wanted to create a better future for us. If we're not able to do it through, you know, creativity, through food, through theater, writing, whatever it may be, then the story is just going to dissipate to nothing. Yeah. We're all going to be drinking venti fucking lattes at Starbucks in a heartbeat. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. There's not going to be any more ventanitas. There's not going to be any more cotaditas. There's going to be nothing. Yeah. So, you know, we have a duty because if not, this shit is going to get lost. And I, that's why, you know, that's why I said Robbie's got me two for two. I'll cry through all these things because they, <laughs> they mean something to me and so many other people like me and like us because it, it is a... Sadly, it's a story that's not told enough. And I think, too, Mike, like, if you look at the film history, let's say, like the movies about the Jewish, um, uh, what the Jewish went through in the Holocaust didn't really start until the 90s, right? Mm. So that was like the children of, uh, the children and, and grandchildren of these people who went through that. And I think similar to our situation with the, with the Cuban Revolution and what happened there, like now is the time. Now, it's it's Gabe, it's you, it's me, it's it's people of our generation to be like, hey, this this happened, you know, and and um, and I think it's important that we we start to make like art that is not just like an an activism in the sense of like you know you go and listen to an activist, but it's like it's got to be cool, man. It's got to be fucking the shit we like. I'm also into like Tarantino, right? So I can't just like make a, uh, a story that is just like in this historical kind of shelf. I gotta make stories that feel uh, cool and alive and make me feel, I don't know, like, um, like I'm doing it in, the, in, a, in a respectful way, but also I'm, I'm being a little bit cool about it, bro. There's no <laughs> other way to fucking say it. It's like, 
we can't just tell boring stories. It's got to be dope, dude. Otherwise, what the fuck are we doing, you know? It's like you, you can't just make food that's boring or like you're repeating. No, it's like you put your own <coughs> twist to it and that's what makes it cool. Well, I mean, but it's also like the, the story has probably been told already. Yeah. And it's like the food that I do has been done before. Right. But not through your eyes or not through mine. Right, right, right. And it's, it's the truth that, you know, like, this is the fact that we have been allowed, like, to be free and to yeah. be able to be creative and yeah. to have a passion and to be able to tell our story, to be, you know, have a, a freedom in that. That freedom has allowed you to do that mm -hmm. just like with me. Like, I was allowed to change food to whatever the fuck I wanted it to be. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, old school Hispanics that are like, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm like, exactly. It's not supposed to be that way. Right, right. You're right. right. Okay. And, you know, maybe that's not the way that classic theater is supposed to be. Exactly. It's not supposed to be that way. You're yeah. supposed to yeah. feel a little bit different. It's supposed to be a little bit more personal. Yeah. Something about the writing that I thought was, like, interesting is at the point when Madre was talking about her struggles mm. through the revolution. Mm. It humanized her. A ton, right? It humanized her from a different side. And to see why she was so brutal, and to see why she was so yeah. real, and to see why she was, at, I mean, it was rough. Yeah. Right? And there can be people that that pulls at them too. Like, maybe she's got a point. And then you see where it led her to. Dude. That it was like, yeah. well, this point's fucked. I have a right to be. You do. I know what you're talking about. No, you don't. I think I do. How? Listen, you get off on the other side of the country and you don't have any money. You get off the bus and you do what? I you call your mom. I don't. I search through the dumpster and find me a weapon. Ava, look at me. You think I don't know what it is to feel like the world is against you? To be at a deficit? As a kid, I remember seeing my mother in prison. She was doing time for strong-armed robbery, trying to put some food on the table. And you're trying to tell me that I don't know what it feels like? I don't think you know who you're talking to. I was brought up with baloney for Sunday dinner, sugar and water to wash it down. I don't come from privilege, see? Rage, resentment, I get it. Yes. Yes, I, I feel... Of course, of course you feel, no, I know. I, I need... The structure, uh, the way in no. which... No. Yes, it's all set up for no, a reason. No, no, There's no, a no, 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 I, I need you to help me. What? I think you can help me. Right? Yeah, man. And I think that that whole, like, juxtaposition in the writing I found fascinating. Oh, that's, that's... I like to hear that. That's... That's the best thing I've heard tonight because it, no, yeah, 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 yeah. because it's like, cause I, and, I, and I told Monica this, who's playing Madre, it's like, I, I want to, I want to humanize that side of the fence because it's not black and white, dude, and it's not that easy to just say, oh, well, they were wrong or they, you know, they, like, no, man, people have so many different experiences and, and that's part of why telling the story is important is like, this shit will happen again. Right. In another form, because we're human beings and we, we, we make those, those decisions and those mistakes sometimes. So, man, that's, I, I love to hear that, dude. Well, it, quick, it quickly turns in the writing, right? That when he starts talking about hearing the boots and like, yeah. hearing the gunfire, not being able to sleep. And like that, 
I mean, that's the part that got me. Yeah. And then Bill Kenny comes with the Schaefer beer commercial. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is, this is great. I, I am on a fucking roller coaster <laughs> right now, and that's awesome. Rafa stops struggling and breaks down. Rafa, Rafa, I'm sorry, Rafa. Shh. You have her come back in here. Easy, Rafa, easy. I'm here now, Rafa. I'm not leaving, I'm here. Lights down, Papo Rafa. Lights up on Bill Kenny at the radio station and Madre alone in the office, listening to the radio. There are times when only an ice cold beer will do. And there are times like this one when it's got to be Schaefer. Schaefer gives you the most rewarding taste in this man's world. The pleasure of this beer doesn't fade after just one glass or two. Even after your thirst is gone, the pleasure of ice cold Schaefer keeps coming on. Your last one is every bit as rewarding as your first. That's why Schaefer is the one beer to have when you're having more than one. But that that uh, whole that a... moment in the in the reading was really what got me to. I mean, it's incredibly involved and it was very thoughtful. Yeah. You know, because it is not it's not black and white. There's right. years before the revolution and years after that impacted the entire thing, and it's just it was. Incredibly well done. So cool, cheers man. to you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, you Did we mention about these the special discount? Oh, yes. We have a discount for everyone who's in attendance today. Wow. Um, Podcast is the discount code. It's, it's, uh, there's only two days, so it's the rest of tonight and tomorrow for you to go on the, the website, thewallsplay.com. Um, and that's the, the uh, Pancom podcast, right? That's the podcast I'm on? Okay. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I dude. So. And that's no disrespect. Sure. That's no disrespect. That's just simply, I'm, I'm, I mean, there's so much going on, dude. And uh, producing and writing and acting. So I'm a little, you know, where the hell am I right now? But, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So Pancom uh, podcast and you get 15% off. Awesome. Love that. No, no blackout dates. You can do that. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. You can get. That's that's kind of special because we're not opening up like that for everybody. So you can get a ticket for now or for the Spanish one or whatever date you know is. It works for you. But it's up only for what till tomorrow, Tuesday. Yeah, till tomorrow night. So yeah, we're trying to get you guys to do it right now. Yeah, get in there. Get on your phone. Not gonna pressure anybody. I'm looking at every one of you, but we're getting everyone liquored up enough that you can do this right now, right when you leave. I love that. Pan podcast. Podcast. Pan podcast. Not panko podcast. Nickel. Yeah, not pumpkin podcast. Somebody write it down for him, dude. Somebody write it down. Pumpkin podcast. None of that. Pan podcast. Like a podcast sandwich. Like a podcast sandwich. You want to open it up to audience? Let's do it. Are there questions? Who wants the spatula? Oh, all the way to make it in the back is ready. Ow. We got a question in the back from the Cacharro man himself. First of all, I just wanted to congratulate you. Um, the best compliment I can pay to you is to tell you that I was infuriated while I was watching because even though it's fictional, I know that it is uh, rooted in a reality that uh, is basically our, our history. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is to everybody who thinks that this is ancient history, it's not ancient history. Two and a half miles from here, eight minute drive away, 
the Cuban national team is playing in the United States. And those Cuban players are not permitted to move around freely in our free country. They're basically being watched by the Cuban state security agents that are stopping them from moving around, uh, from associating freely, which are things that our constitution is supposed to guarantee to everybody in this country, whether they're a citizen or not. So I just think that it's a, a great testament to you guys keeping the Cuba issue alive because it is alive and the people in Cuba today are still suffering under this repressive regime 60 plus years later. Thanks. Henry Gomez also passed Panko Podcast guest. Yep. PCP or Oh, you got things to say? Legend. No, that was very important. Wow. Vicky with the dig. That sounded really messed up. No, you are correct. I'm glad you brought it up because also they were um, they were not letting people in who had the that shirts and didn't have the signs. But a big nice fuck you is that right behind home plate there was abajo la dictadura and Cuba decide, which was like a nice, which I think relates to my question, which is all of these posters and these signs and there's this collaboration going on with Kiki. And can you kind of bring up a little bit of what it's like? to work with an artist who hasn't worked in theater per se and how that collaboration happened and, and how that came up. Yeah, Kiki's been great, man. Um, he went to a reading that we did at Spanglish um, and he loved the play and then I met with him afterwards and he was like, look, I have this idea, like maybe I could come up with some paintings um, that are inspired by the play. Very key, and and uh, and, I, and I was jazzed about. It. I was like, of course, you know. Kiki's also a the you know a child of Cuban exiles, and and I think uh, so. We it's like we 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 bond on this shared family history pain, right? It's like weird how that works. I don't. I, I didn't know Kiki from before that, and the paintings that he's doing like are just. I don't know, man. They're 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 so uh, like some of them are dark, but then some of them are comedic. And he's he's only heard the play a couple times, but he completely like absorbed. And I think it's because we share that, right? Like that family thing. And uh, for me, it's been a, a great collaboration to work with him. And uh, he sends me, pic you know, like uh, paintings that you know as he's doing them. Um, and it, it's just been great, man. And to think that, yeah, it, it, if we were in Cuba still, we wouldn't be able to do that or it would have to be under the secretive kind of like thing and that here we're free to do it, you know? We're gonna put it up in Westchester and the lobby is gonna be filled with Geeky's paintings. Um, and then you're gonna be able to go in and enjoy this, this read and then after, you know, talk about it and then hopefully have those different point of views. Because of course, you know, I, I don't wanna do it just for people who agree with me. I wanna do it for people who maybe have a different point of view. And then to have them say, hey man, I, like I appreciate you, you giving us a fair shake, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, Kiki's been great. Which, which, by the way, one of his paintings is, uh, you can, if you check out our Instagram, the Walls Play, uh, Walls Play Official, right? Yeah. The Walls, Walls Play Official, uh, one of his paintings is, is basically one of the flyers. The, the Che and Drag poster is done. Yeah. That Che and Drag poster is a real thing. Yeah. Kiki so you can check that out. Drag, yeah. It's cool, man. Yeah. Uh, oh, Noah. Noah. Author of our All the Things music, right? Legend. 
I came for the food. I Hell stayed yeah. for the education, um, <laughs> and I appreciate it. Um, yeah. It's important. It's an important lesson. And Robbie, you know, I know you talked about your grandfather being a uh, political prisoner, and I don't know if you have any more um, stories to share or some insight. But was was this based on that, and, and were there some lessons from that that came a part of of this story? Yeah, I think the takeoff point was definitely the stories that I heard from him. The setting of the play, but I see you, Modelo, is the one that my grandfather was in, one of the ones that he was in. He was in three different prisons. Um, and, you know, I, I think for, I wonder how, you, how what you think about this, uh, Mike, but like a lot of that generation doesn't want to share that with us, you know? Like they're trying to take it with them. And I really had to like just be relentless with him like and 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 i think i don't know towards the end of his life he he started to open up a, a little more about those things uh that he went through and he actually wrote a, a, like like 30 pages of a journal where he he detailed some of the things that happened to him from when he got arrested uh up until he he was let go um and uh, and yeah, the the play is littered with it, you know. Like the 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 chicken monologue in the beginning of the story is a story that my 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 father told me. Um, he was he grew up basically in a boarding school. His mom would leave them over the weekends there, and he grew up there with these with this you know the the, the boarding school of the revolution. And and um, he told me those stories about these guys who were you know basically his teachers, and they were also teaching them how to kill. And, uh, you know, they had to kill their own food. So the chicken story comes from my dad. The story about the uh, uh, pray, to, pray to God for something to drink. My mom was, uh, so she was in middle school when my grandfather was in jail. And the teachers knew that. And they would pick on her. And she wouldn't want to sing the national anthem. She wouldn't want to do La Internacional, which we sing in the play. She would never fucking do it. And my, my grandmother would beg her, like, please stop doing that, you know? They're, they're, they're basically, you know, they, they, they started to kind of corner her in, in this place. And um, she told me that story about Preda Castro for a cookie. She was a middle schooler, so that's what, that's what it was. It was like, you're hungry? Okay, pray, pray to... Uh, Pray to God for a cookie. And of course the kids would pray to God for a cookie and no cookie would show up. And then they would say, okay, close your eyes and now pray to Castro uh, for a cookie. And then the cookie would magically show up. And that's how they were brainwashing these kids. So all throughout the story I have laid in there things of that nature. The, 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 the monologue about um, the young boy who was found hung in a forest. That's a real story that Fidel Castro tells. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, the, the play has a lot of that realness in there. I just kind of used my, my grandfather and what he went through as the springboard. Any I, others? I think, yeah, oh, sorry. sorry, just to piggyback, like my, grand, my grandfather specifically is like an incredibly quiet man. Mm. He just, uh, he only gets like lively when he's had enough Miller High Lifes and it's usually like Noche Buena and he's cooking something that's, it's been a couple years since he did that, but it was never like a spoken, like how much, like his feeling towards the island. It was like a longing and you could see it like when family was around and, I, and that has a lot to do with my connection to food because that longing would come out more 
with family events that involved food. Because he would talk about like the moment in Cuba when this would happen or that would happen and you know we would cook and everyone would be together. And you saw in his face like a longing, like a missing of a moment and something that's just was completely taken from him. And for me it was like less the story and more the feeling. You know, and that's it's harder it's harder to be able to uh, quantify that, but you just, you know, obviously known him my whole life. So like I I we we see it and I still see it in him every day like I mean that man watches baseball games from 20 years ago just cuz that's what just what he knows. Like and that's what makes him feel comfortable and it was the same thing with food with family and that moment and it was like um, it, it, it that's essentially why I, I cook you know that was the connection between me and him and the island was food and it's it's interesting how people cope with that that moment that missing that thing because some people talk about it some people just feel it and some people just long for it you know Uh, Oscar, Oscar had a question. My glasses are on the floor, Robbie. Michael, the strategist. <laughs> um, um, Robbie, Remus. Okay. Um, if the walls have ears, what wisdom? do the walls have to teach us better about life? What ears do they have that we don't? If the walls have ears, what do they have to teach us? Playwright. Wow. Go. Go. profundo. I hope you brought your oxygen tank for this deep dive you're about to do. That was... <laughs> God, man, I don't know, man. I don't know. That's a good question, and I don't have the mental capacity to say anything interesting at all. What I will say... <clears throat> well, in a way, in a way, I guess my, my writing the play is the walls having ears, right? I mean, it, it's the idea that what happened there in Cuba... Um, even though you know they try and hide it from people and they try their best for it not to get outside of the island, it does, man, and it does through us. So, I don't know. Is that good? I mean, I, I got it's pretty good. I got, good. I got, a, I got a thought. I, I got a thought. I mean, I'm, I didn't write the play, but if the walls did have ears, the one thing they'd be able to say is the truth. Which, like, no matter which side, which side, which side you're on, or whatever you believe in. The walls saw what happened, yeah. and they know the truth. Wait, Charlie has something to piggyback. I just, I just want to throw my two cents in there, because when you were talking earlier about the walls have ears and this set, if you imagine yourself sitting in those seats, you are the walls. So you're the ears. Oh, man. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. Ah. There you go. Careful with the spatula, man. Jeez. A little mic drop right there. Yeah. Spatula drop. Spatula drop. A little drop. spatula drop. Any other uh, questions? Comments? Poems? Oh. Oh, no. Mike. Mike. Oh, people have. 
I want a question from Mike, Mike the Jojo. I want that question. Uh, thank you, Nick. What's up, Young Kings? <laughs> what up, God brother? Bless you and thank you for your work. Uh, yo, uh, no. So, like, uh, my question, I think. Wait, is, wait, wait. Before he goes, you've been, you were laughing the whole read, bro. So respect for that, dude. No respect. Yeah, dude. Yeah, mad respect. Because people try and laugh, like, you know, they don't want people to know this dude wants people to know. I respect that, bro. So one love, dude. Any play that has that much references to come, I'm gonna be laughing. My dog. My dog, dude. Yes, <laughs> Respect, well, dude. Michael the JoJo is in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All Respect, right. dude. There it is. Communism is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, anyway. Uh, no, honestly, it's, it's, it's more of a boring-ass technical question. It's like, how do you foresee the, you know, I think that, like, the, the momentum of your story and the way that you, you know, like, hearing you say that you, that you appreciate Tarantino is clear in your dialogue and in the way that you're jumping back and forth between moments of time. It's beautiful because you can follow the story, but at the same time you can follow the dynamics of the way these individuals feel about each other. Sick. And like the feelings between them kind of dictates the dynamic of the story more than the passing of time. And in our lives, the passing of time dictates so much, you know what I mean? So it was beautifully yeah. written. Thank you for your work. Thank you, brother. My question is more along the lines of like, as this leaves the reading and goes into like not just theater but theater in the round, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, how do you, uh, how do you? It's a very open-ended question. Like, how do you foresee the way that that's going to affect the story? How do you foresee the way that that's going to affect the mood? What kind of changes in the in in the storytelling do you foresee in that? Gabe, do you want to take this since you're the director and the? <laughs> I got a mic. I got one. I think putting it in. I think the, the best way to do this story justice is to do it in the round because, because we have these stories happening simultaneously, these conversations, I mean, really immersing you in the world. And if you missed a little bit of this, but you got what you didn't get here, then it's like, you can come back again and still live that world. But the best way to do it, I think, um, really is, is, is to do it that way in the round. And, it's, very and, abato, it's very much like Abado in that sense that like, you could like, see one scene and like, not even witness absolutely. what's happening, but still get the story. There are some things that, granted, because it's in the round, no matter where you stand, you're going to block somebody or you're going to be facing this way. And that's okay because it, it is you're living in the world of the moment. So if you were living here at this moment in this room, you didn't get that at, at that other room. And that's fine. Yeah. So um, I, I think the best way to do it really is, is like that. And, and it's up to these guys, really. We give them the canvas, and they paint it. So they help drive the story. Yeah, that's great. Yep. This is JD. This is, uh, by the way, the producer of, of the play. Oh. Right? Oh. Tell us uh, about the affiliation of Rosa Maria Paya and what that means to you guys. Yeah. Rosa Maria Paya and Cuba de Cide are joining us. Um, they're sponsoring us, and, and uh, a portion of our proceeds from our drinks at the show will be going to them. Um, Rosa Maria Paya to us is, you know, she's an icon, and she's somebody who's at the forefront of this movement to, to let, let the world know what's happening in Cuba. And I think it, it's, it's the absolute perfect person to pair this play with. And um, we actually did a private reading for her. Um, and, and, and she came and she listened. And it, it's interesting to do the play in front of people who lived it, you know? Like, um, I don't know, as a writer, I'm a little bit like, ah, oh, because, it, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tell their story and I'm trying to be as, as authentic as I possibly can be to the truth, like you said. 
and and to have her co-sign the play, I mean, it's like, um, it, 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 it's it's invaluable, really. Yeah. I, I'm like the the fact that she's even been on our podcast what twice? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Once uh, she she kind of uh, uh, in. Interrupted. Right. We invited the interruption, one of these live podcasts, because it was recorded just after July 11th. Right. Yeah. I mean, she is, uh, if not at the forefront, the forefront of mm -hmm. what we're all talking about and what we're all fighting for. Yeah. I, I have a question. Sorry. Which, wait, by the way, before we leave Rosa Maria Paya, uh, Easter Sunday, there will be an event hosted by Rosa Maria and Cuba Decide. So if you're looking to, when you want to buy tickets... Rosa Maria will be there, Cuba Decide will be there, and there's going to be like a whole Easter event. Yeah, we'll have food for you guys. This is a foodie group here. We have food for you guys. We, we're going to have drinks for you guys. We're going to have it all. So, yeah, Easter Sunday. I, I have a question. Yes. For both of you. So, in the writing and in the directing, and it's like, so when you write something and you direct something, you feel a certain way about it. When you do it for, and this is for also for you guys, when you do it for three weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, a whole year, does it lose steam for you? And how do you keep them like on pace to understand what the overall meaning of this thing really is, personally to you and to both of you, right? Because like, for me, it's one thing. Like, uh, our food is a tangible thing. I can, I can touch it. I can. I can fix it at the moment, you know, and I'm not everywhere at, at all times, but I can do things. I mean, acting is a feeling. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, they moved us yeah. tonight. So, like, how can you tangibly do that every day for X amount of time? Man, the, 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 the shortest and quickest um, answer I can give to that is we did Amparo for eight months. I was just going to go into and, that. Yeah. yeah. We did Amparo for eight months, and um, there was definitely times where, you know, it, it, felt, it felt hard to have to relive that, that story well, But not just times. hard, but did it feel like a job? It, it, well, so, certainly, right. yeah. It gets to a point where that is true. But then you have a moment where you're staring at somebody and you're telling them the story and you see their eyes, their, their eyes um, light up. Or you see an old woman crying in the audience and all of a sudden you're rejuvenated, you know? So I think that by doing the work, just showing up, you know, because it is a job at some point. Right. But you show up and you just hope that something magic happens that day that, that reinvigorates, you know, your, your ability to tell that story. And I think those things can coexist, you know, we're human beings. So after eight months of doing a show, Thursday through Sunday, two shows a day, mentally, physically, spiritually draining yourself, giving it all to these people, you're, you're fucking tired, man. <laughs> yeah. We're tired. Yeah. And, and so I remember like <clears throat> three months in, four months in, I'm already starting to feel it. Five, six months in, you're like, before the show, you're like, man, I, I wish I could just chill today. I wish I could just, it's Sunday. I don't want to do a show, but then when you get to the show and you have those moments, that's the moments you're hoping for. That's when you're like, this is why I'm doing it. This is why. And it's okay to feel like that. I mean, you know, you're, you're just tired, but by no means <clears throat> does the story mean any less or are you just right. less out of it? I mean, we're just human beings. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like the, the more you do stuff that you care about, like you end the day drained, 
but you leave fulfilled. 100%. You know, like, it, it's, it's very tough. Like, when you're fighting for a purpose and, you know, like, they're telling a story that you wrote, you directed, and yeah. has deep meaning for many people, I mean, you leave drained, but you left, like, you know, it's the old sports quote, like, you left it all on the field. Yeah. I mean, but you leave completely fulfilled. And I think... In the food world, it's tough because, like, you ask people to do something for 12 months out of the year, and it's like, we're going to challenge you every single day. We're going to push you every single day. And I believe in the thing. Do you believe in the thing? How deeply do you believe in the thing? And it's just like, you know, I see the emotions and I see the, the push. Yeah. It can be draining, but it could be, I mean, it is incredibly fulfilling. So that's yeah. my question for the Q&A. So I'll be the bad guy. We're gonna cut it off. Uh, cheers! I know, I know. Who that guy? It's like the Apollo. We're gonna We're take cutting it off, it off a, a little bit in the sense that uh, we had uh, the Gibson opens back up to the public at 11. You don't have to go anywhere in so far. Listen, you own the place. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I know the owner. We're fine. We can all hang out. It's in good. so far as the menu is concerned, se acabó lo que se daba para decirlo en buen cubano. Open a tab, stick around. Uh, our very profound question asker, Oscar Butillo, is going to get on this piano. Oh, man. While, I love this. While Carluba over here, uh, business partner and DJ extraordinaire, prepares to DJ <coughs> for some portion of the night. So we're, wow. we're not done. It's just that the podcast is done. <laughs> all right. All right, all right. So Thank thanks guys. again to our sponsors, Front of the House. Thank you, bro. Thanks to Josie and her beautiful hat. Also, Slain Irish Whiskey, the Glendrona, Petrosian Caviar, Aquapana, San Pellegrino. This is a real thing. All the things. This is a real thing we're doing right now. Enter all the things thanks to thanks to all of you, and especially, I don't know that I anticipated this, all of the Pancom Podcast alumni who are in the room right now. There's a bunch of them. So, thanks. That's it. Shout out to the spatula microphone. Thank you.